My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Today's episode of Weird Work is sponsored by HubSpot Academy. HubSpot Academy offers entire courses along with shorter individual lessons on everything like blogging, user experience, inbound marketing, sales, and even Facebook marketing. Use those digits and start typing in hubspot.com slash weird to get your free training today. I've already watched two videos in the course of this ad spot and learned how to start a blog. It's that good. Get your free training at hubspot.com slash weird. All right, let's bring up the music and let's do this. If you've wanted yet feared to do work that is weird, this is the show you just need to hear. If you've ever been to a comic or anime convention before, you've already experienced this. But for those who haven't, try and imagine Wolverine standing beside you. And outside, there's an armada of stormtroopers lined up, ready to storm the front doors. Cosplay is an entire world where art meets performance. And no one knows that better than today's guest, Ricky Lacody. You might have even seen Ricky at your local con or on the sci-fi channel's Heroes of Cosplay. Either way, she's turned costume fandom into a full-time business. I'm your host, Sam Balter, and this is Weird Work. Now let's listen to them speak about their jobs, which are quite unique. Weird Work. First question, what were you for Halloween last year? I was actually at a convention in Paris at the time. So I was like a burlesque version of Tinkerbell. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So you were burlesque. Wow. That's a lot better than my Halloween. (laughs) But generally, I actually don't like dressing up for Halloween. Unless it's work, you don't dress up for Halloween. (laughs) Yeah. I think it stems from like, you know, you put so much work into these costumes And if you go to like a club, you're standing there with someone who maybe spent $30 on like a giant banana and he's not going to care if he spills alcohol in his giant banana, but I'm going to be really upset because I just spent like $400 in fabric on a Snow White outfit and someone puts a cigarette out on my skirt. You know, it's like totally. Is is there no (laughs) option for you? Are you just like not going to ever just like buy a $20 costume off of Amazon? No. no, if I do, I alter it or like, you know, because it's like cosplay is like your own voice. So I'm like, well, if I'm going to buy something out of a bag, I'm going to like put my own spin on it. So. OK, so just as a bit of clarification for people, what mm. is cosplay? 
for me, it's a, it's, it's a verb. It's basically when I started, it was like, you're really into a fandom or a genre and you want it to be that character. So it's, it's sort of like an equivalent of fan art. So you, you look at the character, you're like, I want to be that character. You make the costume, you wear the costume and the act of wearing the costume is cosplaying. Okay. And so how is cosplay different than just dressing up for say Halloween or something like that? It's different in the sense that you are basing it off of an already existing uh, property as opposed to like, you know, sexy pirate number three, you know, they have come up with some <laughs> great names. So I love going to like spirit stores. Yeah. And the names they have for their outfits. It makes me laugh so much. But it's it, honestly, you can get now like, you know, Catwoman or Batman in, in spirit stores. And that would be considered cosplay. Okay, so you don't have to necessarily make the costume in order for it to be cosplay. You could just no. buy a costume. Yeah, exactly. It's it's for me, it's the act of like if you're making the costume, you're costume making or you're costumer. But if you're just wearing the costume, that's that is cosplaying. Okay, so like, take me back a little bit. How did you first hear about cosplay? It's a running joke among my friends. I grew up in very rural Canada, like my graduating class was 20 people. For the first part of my life, I lived in a little town called Norman Wells, and it's close to Inuvik, which is in the Northwest Territories. Okay. And uh, there was no roads in except when it was the winter. So we had our food barged up for the winter. And for fun, my parents would take me to the garbage dump to watch bears root through trash. And I thought that was totally normal. Like, like I was like, yeah, that's what families do on Sunday night. They go to the garbage dump and they watch bears go through the trash. I, I'm sorry. That just sounds to me like like if somebody was making fun of Canada as like yeah. as like what do Canadians do? Like I couldn't even come up with that. I know. It's so eventually, so that was the smaller town. Then I moved to like the big city, which was the one in British uh, Columbia at the top of Vancouver Island. And I um Sailor Moon had just come out. And I was really into it. And my friends were starting to get into anime. And I said, hey, for Halloween, you know, I want to dress up from these cartoons because these girls are like fun, outgoing and sexy. And I was kind of like I was in school and I was like shy and awkward. And I, you know, I thought it'd be fun to get to be these characters. And no one had any idea who I was because like I was like. No one knew what anime was. Okay. was. It was not around. Our town had just gotten the internet. Like, that's how small we were. And I loved it. And so for like two or three years, I continued to do it. And I didn't know anybody else did it. So I was like, I invented this thing where you dress up as cartoon characters. I'm a genius. <laughs> and then eventually, when I moved to a bigger city called Winnipeg, Manitoba, I joined an anime club and I, I got more people in it and I went to my first convention and then I realized, oh no, I'm not the special snowflake I thought I was. <laughs> there are other people doing it, but I started in 98 and it was still very, very, very underground. If you, you know, not to sound <laughs> cliche, but uh, we were kind of the freaks of the con. Like people would look at us and be like, what is going on there? You couldn't you know, it was hard to get wigs. You couldn't just buy your costume. Like everybody kind of had to make your costume. You had to make your own costumes because there were no stores. 
And, but it was so much fun that I just kept, I've just kept doing it and doing it and doing it. <laughs> so, okay. So like you mentioned before that you were a bit shy. Mm-hmm. What was that feeling like when you walked into the convention for the first time? And like, as you said, you were kind of, it was new and you were the freaks of this convention. Yeah. And I, trust me, I say freaks in like an endearing way. Like yeah. people didn't get it. Like <laughs> I would always, they'd be like, oh, is that a cosplay? Is that a sexual thing? Like that's the only way people could connect it. And and I was like, no, it's just like, it's like me. I can't draw or when I can't, you know, do karaoke. So this is me of showing my appreciation for something I'm really into. And then people kind of started to understand it. But uh, I felt, I mean, I still get the same feeling now. 15 plus years later that I do uh, the very first time I cosplay, I get nervous. It, I always say it's kind of like uh, going on a first date. You're like, are they going to like me? Do I look good? <laughs> Am I pretty? You know, I hope, I hope, you know, I make a good impression and you yeah. know, I hope I have a lot of fun. So it's like you get butterflies in your stomach. Well, I do. So now the and- date, the date started, you know, like, did people like you? Did, was it, was it like a relief afterwards? Like what happened after that kind of initial bunch of anxiety? Oh, the very first time? No, because I didn't know what I was doing. So I was just hoping that my costume would stay on my body for the whole weekend. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's always this fear like something's going to fly off or tear and you're going to have like an accident in public and then it's going to be like mortifying. <laughs> so but no it ended up being a really great experience you get to meet a lot of people because I always talk about um you know geeks and and the we'll wear like shirts with you know something we love on our shirt like Legend of Zelda or um Doctor Who but when you see somebody in a costume from those things you know they must really love it so you know you can go up and probably talk to them about it and they'll really open up because even though I'm shy um, if you talk to me about something I'm passionate about, I'll just open right up. And that's like that for a lot of people at conventions. They're sort of introvert. But if you talk to them about something they love, man, they'll just, a whole different person will come out. So that's what, cosplay is like an invitation to like, come and talk to me about what I'm wearing. Oh, that's, that's <laughs> a nice way to put it. Put it. Yeah. <laughs> um, how long does a typical costume take to create? I would say minimum maybe an easy costume for me is 25 hours at least and what's a difficult one difficult one is um stuff with like props because you've got to make it and then mold it and then cast it and then paint it I was on a reality show on the sci-fi network and uh it was a very hard time limit like you had to have the costume done before we go to this convention to film and it was this sculpted dress that was supposed to look like fleshy and meaty from this very gothic Alice in Wonderland video game. And uh, that dress, and you know, there's no rest, there's no instructions out there how to do a sculpted meat dress. That's not available. That's not like a readily available, like like information on that. Not a lot of YouTube videos out there. Um, and I remember cause I had to time myself, that dress took me 150 hours and I had about two and a half weeks which, or less, which kind of like brings up another question to me is how do you learn how to build these costumes if there's not really a, an instruction manual out there for it? Well, the nice thing now about cosplay, you know, 15, 20 years later 
is there is actually a lot of information out there and the community is really like sharing. And that's why like there's people who are making costumes for the first time that are just like, it's mind blowing. When I started, yeah, there was not, there was no YouTube. There was no social media networks. There was like angel cities and a couple forums and that was it, you know? (laughs) And it was all just trial and error. Like it was just, you know, um, having, Hey, I need a crazy colored wig. Okay. Well, they only sell them in like natural colors. So we used to take Sharpies and Sharpie our wigs. And then we'd wear the wigs and the Sharpie would get all over the costume. So it'd be like, okay, well, we need to rinse the wigs before we put them on. And then it kind of just evolves from that. Basically, you're learning from your mistakes. Uh, Where do you kind of where do you find all these materials to make these costumes? Because they're all over the place. You have like Mm -hmm. molds, you have leather, you have latex, you have like regular like every every conceivable thing. It seems like you've used. How do you find those materials? Um, It's again, because I started before I had a lot of access to the materials. I would frequently go to, you know, like Goodwill. So if I needed leather that was already distressed, I'd go buy like an old, old dude's jacket at Goodwill. It'd be super cheap. It'd already be worn. I did a character called the Huntress from the Batman universe, and she has like a utility belt. And I needed like a cool belt buckle. So I went and I, you just kind of look at things and you're walking around and the container for bubble tape had a really interesting look. So I took that and used that as my belt buckle. Are you, are you like always like when you're like walking around, do you see random objects and you're like, boom, that'd be perfect for X, Y. Yeah. That's like you go to Home Depot and you're like, you look at like the, the silhouette and what the, not what the object is used for, but what it could be used for. So that's the thing. Like a lot of cosplayers are really innovative and creative that they often we've, we've had to like hit bash using something that, you know, you're not supposed to use. For something else what's the most expensive costume that you've ever made most expensive costume i've ever made sometimes i actually get real i don't even budget myself anymore oh <laughs> really go, yeah and but i know like for instance i did a character from dc comics uh, zatanna and she's a magician and she's got a top hat and there's I did all this research and there's different types, there's coachman's hats and there's all these other different type of hats, but the top hat has a very specific look and I wanted a collapsible one. And at the time I was looking, there was supposedly only two people I could find in the world that made collapsible top hats. And I ended up paying $350 just for this top hat. So like a costume could easily cost in total, like potentially over a thousand dollars oh easily easily i mean if you talk about like wigs are sixty dollars it could be anywhere from 30 to 60 dollars footwear low end maybe 30 dollars and then the fabric and then materials but you're not even taking into account if you're making it yourself yeah the let's say 40 hours, you pay yourself $10 an hour, like you look at it that way. Or if you're commissioning something, it's a specialty item. It is custom made for you. That's going to be expensive. Something as simple as a bodysuit, a superhero bodysuit could be $1,200. A robot armor, thousands of dollars. So like, what do you, what do, you do with these things after you've, you've made them? 
Oh, what do I do with the costumes? Yeah, what happens to the um, costumes afterwards? Um, I keep all my costumes. Uh, I have a big shelf. I live in sort of a warehouse uh, space. So I have like a 15 foot high shelf and it's just full of garment bags and Tupperware containers all labeled. Um, and they just, they just sit in there. I half the stuff I won't wear anymore, but I won't get rid of it. Some girls and some cosplayers, they'll kind of gut one costume for another costume. So they'll take a wig from one costume and cut it and restyle it for another in, as a way to save money. You know, I've even seen some people sell their costumes, you know, just but like, you're not giving up any of them. No, they're like children. Like <laughs> I, I put so much tears and sweat and blood and it's it's like I don't think I could handle seeing somebody else in the costume and maybe that's a little selfish of me but uh plus maybe a a little bit embarrassment because I was like oh I don't want them to see the inside of that costume that's it looks good in photos but maybe not in person yeah no that's so funny I love I love the idea of just being like I don't actually want to see anybody else wearing something that I put so much work into I'm selfish. I'm so selfish. So along those lines, for a lot of people, it's a hobby. But for mm. you, this is like, this is a, a profession. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. Like, how are some of the ways that you can make money from cosplay? A lot of the way we make our money is through print sales, where basically we take a really nice photo of ourselves in a costume and then our our community or our followers will purchase the purchase the pictures, sort of like a piece of fan art or maybe their favorite character or their favorite costume or just a way to support us. So, but seven or eight years ago, that didn't exist. And actually it was kind of looked down upon in the community that huh. anybody making money through cosplay was kind of selling out because it, it is a hobby of love and your appreciation for the character. So there was a big kind of, split between the community but now it's actually a lot more accepted which is really nice because you know if you can make money doing something that you love I mean that's ultimately what you want to do um but so yeah you know you're always trying to figure out like what's a good product the price to make it versus the price to sell it yeah and then also another way we make um some girls make money is uh, appearance fees at conventions you know if for me when I go to a convention, it's, it's work. I work 12, 14 hours a day for three days. And, you know, I wake up, I get in a costume, I meet and greet the people who want to see me. Sometimes I'm gone from my table for six or seven hours to judge a costume contest, which sometimes the prize is, you know, $10,000. Sometimes it's $500. Do you, do you compete in them? I always have to be honest that the, usually the costumes that win those prizes cost more than the actual money you're making in the in the contest so for somebody who might be uh newer into cosplay how how would you determine like how much to charge uh to appear at a convention I think if you're just starting out, the best thing to do is reach out to a convention and say, hey, I have experience doing wigs. I would love to run some panels on wig making. Uh, could I possibly get some free badges and a table? And and the con will then say yes or no. And from there, you just keep building a, a community and a fan base. And for me, what it is, is my uh, 
the people who follow me on social media, they reach out to the convention and they request me. And then the con reaches out to me. You know, it, let me just say this. If you're just, if you're buying stuff from, um, buying stuff from like spirit and you're going to cons and you don't really know how to make anything, then it's going to be a lot harder to request, uh, an appearance fee. Cause you've got to think what value am I bringing to the con? What unique value do I provide? So you can't, yeah, you can't be front. You have to have like legitimate skills and something to offer. And then that will help determine that the value that you could bring in. Right. Yeah. Like for me, it's, um, I'm good with understanding props and I'm good with understanding sewing. So if you have me as a judge, you know, I have a good basis for either of those. You've also got to think of appearance fee kind of like an advertising fee. So you're also advertising that you're going to be at the convention. So that's kind of what the appearance fee includes as well. Like, hey, I'm going to promote to my following that I'll be there. And hopefully (laughs) that will sell some tickets for you. And that will. And just because you throw out a number, the con can say no. They'd be like, nope. And you'd be like, well, I'll go cheaper. Or you say, okay, well, have a nice day. You know, it's, it's been great. Okay, so it sounds like you've you're sort of like living the the cosplay dream. Like you made it into being like one of the top people in cosplay. You've built up like a solid following, but you've also started to make your way into movies. Yeah, it was. It's sort of like uh, I've kind of just stumbled along, like cosplay wise, and then getting to work in the film industry. Um, when I moved to the States, I was, uh, I started apprenticing under, uh, a mold maker who did like stuff for like fine arts. Like I sculpted this girl with balloons and now I need to mold it so I can make copies for my kids for Christmas. So I worked under him for a while. And one of his clients, uh, did special effects makeup. He he worked in LA and then he had moved to the Georgia area and he only took films once in a while because he was becoming focusing on fine art. Well, he was doing a movie and uh, they needed somebody to basically wrangle the fat suits. Okay. (laughs) While they were in Georgia. And he what, knew what is I that, had, what does that mean to wrangle a fat suit? <laughs> well, he knew I had experience in cosplay. So he's like, Hey, I understand that you know what it's like to be in an uncomfortable suit. I know you can repair it. And so he said, Hey, do you want to like assist us? I said, okay. It ended up being big mama's house three. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So the suits were made in LA, uh, by a company called spectral motion. And then they were sent to here and that I was the one responsible for, uh, I didn't do Mart. I did, I dressed Martin Lawrence a couple times, but I mostly focused on Brandon Jackson and Martin's photo double. So I would dress them in the fat suits. I'd repair the fat suits. I'd clean the fat suits. <laughs> and I had this like big trailer full of just like fat arms and legs and bodies. I called it like a meat locker. <laughs> look like a meat locker and so I'd go on set and basically take care of them and just it was really trial by fire and then from there for when X-Men First Class came to Georgia I worked on um, the beast so the suit was already made and I would just basically take care of Nicholas Holt who played the beast I'd put on his arms I'd brush his fur (laughs) and you know I'd basically take care of him and then And it was just like, I was just so amazed at the quality of work that I was seeing. It was a whole different level. 
And I would just, and, and they were so open with sharing information, which was really refreshing because at the time in the cosplay community, there was a time where people would try to withhold techniques because they thought it would give them like secrets. Yeah. You don't, you don't have any super secret things to your costumes that you're never giving up. No, I just won't give up the costumes, but I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) So then from there, Marvel civil war uh, came to Georgia. And so they reached out to me and, and legacy basically hired me to basically a specialty costumer with the stuff that they make. It must be kind of weird. Like how does it feel to have spent like a bunch of years kind of dressing up as different uh, characters for cosplay and then like working on these movies. It's it's quite surreal actually. And the the crazy thing for me is like when I first started, I kept the cosplay thing like very separate from my work life, my my set life versus cosplay. And then it's kind of come about after a few years and everybody thinks it's really cool and they actually started following me on social media. But um I always am a big advocate of girls who are just starting out or boys, you know, there's this thing I'd like to do called long-term branding. Huh. What's that? Basically just be careful what you post on the net. Oh, okay. So, you know, I have some sexy costumes and, uh, you know, or I'll do like a, a sexy selfie for my cosplay life. And then, you know, the next day I'll come in and my boss and supervisor will give me, like, he'll jokingly give me, he knows he's totally cool with it, but he'll give me like kind of a jokingly hard time about it. <laughs> But not everybody's supervisor is going to be as chill as that. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. So you're, you've, you've been lucky. Yeah, I've been in- incredibly lucky. And I think it's because the skills I have picked up from cosplay, it really helps me on set. Basically, the biggest thing I always try to encourage people, I'm like, if you want to do cosplay full time, that's great. But always maybe think of it more as a stepping stone towards something else. Like if you're really into makeup effects and doing specialty makeup, you know, like do that in your cosplay and use cosplay as a way to learn and teach yourself. Huh. But don't but don't let it be your end goal. Work towards maybe working in film or um, television or commercials or anything like that. Who knows where it'll lead? But don't think of cosplay as your end goal because, it, you know, it's, it's fickle. There might be a finite amount of time. I mean, when I'm 70, I don't want to be going to cons, working 14 hours a day, wearing high heels and a thong. Like, that's just not what I that's want to not, do. That's not the, what you want to be doing at 70? No, maybe 68, but I not feel, 70. I feel 70 like, is, that's I, the hard line. That's when thongs, it's, that's, they're called granny panties for a reason. I feel I'm a like <laughs> if you're 70 and you're rolling around like a con in like a thong and high heels, like that's kind of making it. To, like that seems like it's a pretty impressive feat, <laughs> you know? That's a whole other podcast we need to have. <laughs> <laughs> Just, yeah, that's, that's, yeah, if we're, yeah, if I'm still podcasting and you're still cosplaying, we'll check back at 70. Definitely. <laughs> so the 70s, so just call me in four years. We're good. <laughs> and that's the other thing for me is, the money I make through costuming, I invest back into my tools and my equipment and other costumes. Like I don't ever want to rely on cosplay to pay for my medical or to pay for my food or to pay for my rent because (laughs) then you're going to start feeling this pressure and it, it takes a while to produce costumes and, you know, you have to produce them at such a rate to kind of, keep people's interest going and then it it kind of 
it's super frustrating. I'm, I'm going to be up front. Cosplay yeah. is frustrating, but I love it in the end. It's like a relationship. You have your good times and you have your bad times. <laughs> and it's, sometimes it's, you're like, and you I can't hate you. trust it for healthcare. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I hate you. I never want to be with you anymore. And then I'm like, I'm sorry, let's make up, you know, <laughs> but, um, if you start doing it out of obligation, it's not real. You're not doing it because you love it. You're doing it because you need to pay your bills. And then it kind of just becomes not fun anymore. And I always, I do this joke. I was like, if you want to go be famous for something, go do porn because it's way cheaper than having to make costumes for You literally don't need any costumes sometimes. Exactly. That's why I was like, you know, I'm joking. Like if you're just cosplaying to become famous, there are way easier things to go be famous for. So where can people find your work now? Google. Google. Just, just Google you. That's just the, Google me. Just Google you and you'll show up. Perfect. <laughs> um, no, you can find me on um, Facebook and just look up Riddle Cosplay and I'll show up on Instagram and Twitter. It's R-I-D-D-1, the number one, E. And uh, I post most on Instagram now, to be honest. So, Well, I just want to say like, Thank you so much for coming on the show. This was <laughs> this is so much fun to talk to you. And I, I hope you had a good time as well. No, I had a great time. I don't think you need me to tell you this, but you really need to see some of Ricky's costumes. She's humble as fuck, but these costumes she's creating are incredible. I get why she never gets rid of them. If you like weird work, do us a favor and subscribe to the show in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you're getting your podcasts. Maybe leave a rating and review while you're there. Maybe be a good person and do it. As always, I'm your host, Sam Balter, and stay weird, you high fashion robots. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards... Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.